Hello folks and welcome to the 8th episode of Talking Indies, uh, which I always said before wasn't a podcast, but now is sort of a podcast, because um, you can listen to it aside from on YouTube like before, it should be on most if not all podcasting platforms now, um, so now there's a variety of ways to have me help put you to sleep at night. Um, anyway... So this week, um, we've got two different questions from two different people, um, and we'll see what we got. So first one is from a long time. I mean, he must have been one of the original, I swear he was one of the original people who was following me on Twitter. Um, but um, it's Dan from Canada, and his question is, <clears throat> if you could make a game, what kind of game would that be? For me, it would, uh, for me, I would... If I could, oh, for me, if I could, I would make an adventure game with a top-down view set in an apocalyptic near future, and the map would be the state of Ohio. That way you get wilderness, coast, uh, a lake, uh, and metro cities. Something like A Link to the Past mixed with some Fallout. Sounds like something I would like. Um, Fallout 3 in particular is definitely um, one of my favorite all-time games. Um, still since Skyrim did well on Switch and definitely ported just fine, I'm still in shock that uh, Fallout 3 has never made it to Switch. Um, New Vegas would also be excellent. Um, but anyway, in terms of game that I would make, I've thought about it before. Since I am a, I'm a, web, I'm a web design programmer um, by trade, so programming is something that I... I have the inclination to do. It's just a matter of trying to figure out, uh, trying to get the inspiration to learn completely different types of programming and all the quirks and all that. And I don't know, when you look at game game development, you either have to choose, you, you have to choose your, your platform or or underlying scheme of choice, um, you know, Unity, and there's tons of different stuff. So that always seems exhausting in itself, trying to pick, you know, what what uh what you'd actually develop in. Um, I mean, I suppose people would say, you know, you should start simple, even if it isn't for uh, consumption. You know, if you are going to develop a game, you should start very small and incrementally. Um, you know, set objectives for yourself and create something small that isn't even meant to be for everybody, that you just get working um, sort of as a as a starter success and then keep building and building something more complicated from there. Um, I don't know. Uh, Fuse is out there for uh, Fuse 4 or Fuse... I don't, it's fused to the fourth power <laughs> is um and there's actually a game this week that is coming out that uh, is it's being branded under uh fuse somebody had made it in fuse it's called uh super funky bowling um which actually it's it's a simple it's visually quite simple um there's not a mistake in that area uh you know it's it's not a very complicated looking game but definitely has heavy super monkey ball vibes um in terms of how it feels and it works really well actually um you know it's it's proof that if you have a good idea and you are able to execute it pretty well um you know you can you can 
you can make relatively simple games that are success. I mean, I imagine the majority of the time spent was working out mechanically um, all the details in terms of um, the physics of how the ball is rolling around and uh, you know getting the controls dialed in to feel really good because um, it does all those things really well. And from there, it's a matter of just building different levels and playtesting them to feel like they're you know, reasonably difficult but yeah, very Super Monkey Ball vibe. It's um, you're playing, you're controlling a bowling ball, and your objective is to knock out pins. Um, and then there will be a pin that's the golden pin that's the last one you have to knock out. Um, so yeah, your video goes up for it this week. Um, you know, there's no mistaking it is a is a clone of the concepts behind Super Monkey Ball. But then again. Uh, a lot of the more recent Super Monkey Ball games, to me, have lost their way. So uh, I welcome it. Um, so yeah, if you if you love Super Monkey Ball and have been feeling that itch, uh, be on the lookout for it this week. Um, but anyway, so back to so when it was made in Fuse, which is something that runs on Switch. Uh, you can get it yourself, and you could learn how to, you know, within their framework, you can program a game. Um, and it's built. It's a. It's an app that's built for doing that. Um, you can go through the code. You can alter it. You can compile it, and play it. Um, so, if you've never heard of Fuse, it's definitely interesting. Um, and I experimented with it enough to confirm that yes, indeed, it does work. But um, you know, that's even if you have a, a framework to work with, um, programming it takes time and and especially to do something correctly and that's that's sort of my hang up and why I waited so long to build a new site is I get very very hung up on the, even the concept of doing something sort of half-assed um, and I really want to be fully committed to something before I put time into it um, because as you can see with this site you know the site everything about this site began with um, an odd set of circumstances that ended up giving me a code for a game. Um, I won't get into all of it. Um, but once I got that, and then I felt obligated to write something up about it, and then once I did, um, I also wanted to capture some gameplay footage, and so I, I decided I would invest in getting a capture card um, and put it out there. And it wasn't like, you know, with so much stuff out there, it isn't like anybody noticed at the time but it was just one of those things that it was like well I could take I could just stop now or I could take this uh, you know this one this one opportunity I was given and my one you know my one review from it my one bit of gameplay from it and I could just stop and I could just go back to just enjoying my games um, that I buy and or I could start reaching out and start beating the bushes to try to get back on the road to having a website because um, way back in the day um, that was something I was doing though I'd always collaborated with other people um, but this this would just be me and then you know it's one of those things if you keep if you're persistent and you're polite that is definitely always a big piece of it and you're flexible uh, whenever I write to anybody about about games, um, I'm always clear that I can work with NA, EU, or AU, AU codes. So, you know, I'm I'm very versatile. I'm I'm willing to work with you. 
Um, I'm not making any demands. You know, there's never, there's never, even now, you know, not that I still, not that I matter, um, but there's never a presumption of, of, uh, you know, oh, don't you know who I am or anything like that in dealing with anybody. It's very, it's very, the goal is always to be polite and to, to emphasize that, you know, I'm here to help. Um, I'm here to help people find your game. Discovery is notoriously difficult, uh, and it's gotten more and more difficult the longer the Switch has been in place. Um, so, you know, everything in life that means something is about making a decision and making a commitment and being all in. So interesting things happen when you're all in. So that's why I haven't tried to make a game. Yeah, getting back to the original point. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, but I have thought about it. Um, the direction I would go in, definitely something that has a roguelike vibe to it because I love, um, the concept of roguelikes and the way they work. Um, and a lot of the reason for that is they remind me, you know, having grown up in the eighties, um, you know, I, I was, a I was a big arcade person who would have thought, um, played just I can't even imagine how much money I wasted in arcades um but because of that I, I really appreciate the way roguelikes tend to work um that there is a focus that feels very arcade like um granted most arcade games you didn't get external progression which is great when you know roguelikes aren't so cruel that they don't give you some form of long-term progression but um you know, just the nature of jumping in, doing your best, losing, and dusting yourself up, getting back up, and getting right back in there. Um, I appreciate that piece of it. I like the risk and reward. Um, you know, I'm I, I uh, I'm used to another thing I used to do in college. I used to write um, early programming stuff. Uh, they're called <clears throat> they were called MUDs or <clears throat> sorry or multi-user dungeons. Um, so yeah, this is this is before MMOs. This was MMOs before MMOs existed. Um, people would get together and they would program up these you know Dungeons and Dragons esque text based games. Um, you know, think think like Zork. You know, for people who know what Zork is. Um, but you know, it was and it would, there was a whole community, and you would play through these things and you'd level up your character and. Typically, what would happen is if you played it long enough uh, and with enough dedication, you could go on quests. And then, for some of these muds, uh, once you completed all the quests and you know passed through a, a sort of a process, you could become a wizard, um, which would essentially allow you to start being one of the programmers uh, of the mud. And I, I became a wizard on a on an old school old school uh lp mud uh called infinity um and you know dabbled with some things learn I, I learned programming it was it was terrifying that um I, I hadn't really programmed before but i was interested in it um it's a modified version of c was um was what they were using and you know, i found that i was pretty capable if i chose to you know do it i i was pretty capable of figuring out how to modify things and you'd start by setting up your weapons and you'd and you'd uh, set up different simple things but then you know if you're more ambitious uh you know you might set up a guild which took more work 
Um, but then I got bored with that, and I actually ended up creating a, a guild object that would let me create other guild objects quicker um, because I wanted to make more guilds as an experiment. Um, so that's that's what got me started on programming in general. But and that's the, relating back to liking roguelikes. Um, I wasn't a big fan of... I didn't I didn't like how little randomness there was in in a in the code because you know you'd set up your damage profile on your weapon say and there would be a random you know you could do from you know let's say from 4 to 6 damage or whatever um and it but it was all very generic um so there was generic messaging in the when you fight um you know and and it was kind of boring to me and I wanted to introduce you know, high, high, you know, risk reward kind of stuff. So I would, um, you know, I'd have like a random one in a hundred chance that then it would have a a different message that was more, I tried to, you know, spice it up and make it seem more interesting. And, you know, the one in, you know, the one in a hundred times that that this would show up, there was also then uh, a small, you know, another random uh, chance that you do a critical hit with it that would give a different message that you know would do some you know more ridiculous amount of damage um, because it was just you know I like the unpredictability of it and when I <clears throat> when I was doing the um, when I was doing guilds and stuff in order to justify having more powerful more powerful uh, attacks you know there would be a risk component so that was actually what drove the original guild that I made uh, was actually the Cenobite guild uh, based on um, Clive Barker's, uh, you know, stuff with the Hellraiser. And and it made sense within the context of the Cenobites that if I was willing to sacrifice some of my health, potentially, I could do more damage. Um, so, you know, that's, what, that's why I like roguelikes. I like what's unpredictable about them and it can be disappointing if you're on the wrong end of uh you know if the rng gods are not looking down upon you certainly it can lead to disappointing runs but you know you have that chance that you're gonna have this crazy run um that you just you hit things right and you just and it feels so good and to me that's a big piece of what makes games more exciting um so Anyway, so a roguelike. It would be a roguelike. Um, and since I love twin-stick shooters, that seems to also be um, something that I would pick, uh, something in that vein. Um, part of the appeal of something like a twin-stick shooter is you don't need a story. I, you know, nobody... You can have one, but nobody really cares. Um, what what you want when you're playing a rogue, uh, uh, twin-stick shooter you know, you just want to blow stuff up. You know, you want to have a great time. You want it to be intense and fast and, you know, just bring on the enemies and I want cool weapons. And that's the one thing that I feel like, um, the one thing that I feel like I would experiment with, um, and it fits into a roguelike concept, um, would be to make, make it so that what you would get rather than getting a strict, gun so so rather than me getting a better gun that has you know split fire or it has you know different properties to it which ultimately are different weapons so you know you have rapid fire guns you have ones that split you have um let's see what else could you you could have ones that power up you have ones that work like a you know like a rocket launcher so you have explosive damage um you know there are different 
sort of main types of guns that you know people are used to seeing and they pick them up um but what i would want to do is try to make it so that you would get attributes that you could tack on so you'd have an attribute like um like split fire or you'd have an attribute like explosive damage and stuff like that but try to find different ways to experiment with how they would work so if like like let's say i accumulated three of them so i have split fire i have um explosive damage and i have um let's see um actually maybe i have two split fires so i could conceptually if i if i set it up i could set up a progression so i initially fire it and it's just and it's a two-way split and then i hit the then I tell it to split again and say it splits to four, um, but you know after some some pause or some amount of distance, and then I have it be explosive after that. So you know that would be one outcome, and that's pretty effective. I mean that would be pretty good damage dealing, clear the room kind of idea. But let's say that I had it be explosive first. Um, so maybe what that does it does um, you know like area damage around me, and that makes it split in all directions um and then you know then i have that second split and that's going to make it that's going to make it um that's going to make it split even more so you know i i have a i have a area of effect kind of deal to begin with that could help save my help save me um and then you know then i get my all directions spray um split it's become a spray split and then you know and then i split it on top of that but if i had it split first and then i had it be explosive well now you know now i've got explosive damage that's ahead of me that you know is splitting in all directions when it does the explosive shot so it's taking ideas like that and this is this is one of the things that's why you know i wouldn't unless you develop it and you spend the time to walk through how all these things work maybe the idea doesn't even work you know until you would test it you wouldn't know if this idea would work um but if you if you did a, a lot of things like that oh poison bullets obviously would be an option i mean there's a lot of things like that or fire um but then yeah i mean imagine playing with fire and ice or you know so you have elemental stuff that applies um you know, just taking all these different attributes, but the roguelike piece of it and the where the risk and reward would come in would be that once you use it, you can't combine it again. So the idea would be, you know, okay, so I'm going to pick up these attributes and I've got two of them that are really good. Um, and you know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling like I'm in trouble. So I, I really need to invest uh, and I need to, I need to just get something to get me going. So, but maybe I end up having to sacrifice because of that. I have to sacrifice like my explosive damage or I have to sacrifice my split. You know, these are really powerful things potentially when combined, but I need to survive right now. So, so my, my risk was, I was holding on to these to this point. My reward is I now have more effective, you know, a, a more effective weapon because I've enhanced my weapon with these two things. But now, maybe then I got this, the next attribute I picked up was poison or something. And oh my god, if I had just held on a little longer and survived, I could have had all three. So now I'm sitting here and I'm accumulating again, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, when I need to commit. 
because the, the whole idea is that there's this is I guess it's part of the idea is that it's time based like these things don't all fire at once um, so so something starts out as something then within you know a very short interval the next one would trigger then a, within the next uh, a tr uh, an interval the next one would trigger so so this is you know it's it's like you'd have to probably set a limit um, you know maybe you can only use three or four or something because obviously at some point you could make yourself so powerful um, that it would probably be game breaking um, but once you think about that system so you know like so maybe I set it up so that it's a it's it fires as it fires as a single poison bullet then it hits explosive damage and turns into multiple projectiles um, and then on top of that then the last one is a uh, like a, a monster seeker kind of kind of thing so so you've got this you know <laughs> so you fire forward with a poison bullet which you know, obviously anything it hits is going to poison it and then it's going to explode and go into multiple directions and then on top of that all those projectiles are going to seek enemies um obviously you'd have to put sort of a damage limit because you you know these things couldn't kill everything on the screen outright but the idea is just there to try to make it so that weapons and w the way you handle weapons and the way you think about them isn't isn't so predictable um that there's there's um there are different possibilities there are different combinations that you're going to come up with and until you try them you wouldn't know what the result would be because maybe some of these if you combine them in certain ways maybe it's actually disappointing maybe you had high hopes for you know putting a delay on the explosive being you know fourth in but it just doesn't do enough damage and it would be more beneficial to put it earlier where it's going to split it up you know there's these different ideas of how you could approach it um and then of course if you're doing roguelike the way to make it <laughs> the way to make the game tougher is you make the rules roughly the same in reverse that your enemies are unpredictable as well perhaps and you know maybe it's by by zone or whatever and maybe you describe the zone so you give people uh, a taste of what the enemies are going to be doing um but yeah maybe the maybe the counter to this is that the enemies have these kinds of you know really powerful things uh that that are combined so maybe their fire is a bit more unpredictable and of course you know all this you'd have to figure out how to balance it you'd have to figure out how to make things work obviously if the enemies are going to have you know potentially these crazy combinations of things aside from offensive abilities you're going to need uh pretty heavy uh defensive abilities um to, to help counteract some of this um and maybe that's one of the one of the other things that you have maybe you have a armor system maybe things like attributes you have choices that um you know i can either take the poison attribute and it's something i fire and makes them do more damage with poison or i invested in my armor and so now i'm immune to poison or at least partially immune to poison and maybe that makes it even more roguelike that it becomes you know the armor becomes the same kind of thing that the more the more things i accumulate and hold on to the more powerful my armor will be if i can survive long enough to use it so maybe that's maybe that's the balance that um all attributes sort of apply to either or 
Um, and you can, so you can go in a defensive direction, you can go in an offensive direction. You might get attributes that on a run that you could get nothing that really feels like it's going to help you offensively. So you're sort of stuck with, you know, this great defense that you're taking forever to do chip damage to take out enemies until you finally get something that feels like it's a match. Is that a failed run? Is that good? Well, I mean, it's definitely roguelike. So it's these ideas. So if I did a game, that's definitely the one that I've spent the most time sort of pondering in the back of my head. Never really, you know, never really at the foreground. But it seems like it would be a fun idea. Like I said, absolutely could not work. Um, you might make it where it's too easy, too hard, um, and or too, you know, wildly one one to the next. That the you know these things become so powerful, uh, your enemies or you are that it becomes pointless. So you'd have to figure out how to balance all that. But I think that's the idea that I would run with. Um, you know, I I just like the idea of there being this you know experimentation for people up front. Now, granted, they could just look up a guide and it would ruin it all um, as people discover what all the different progressions give you. But I like that idea that there's an unknown. You know, you take these things that are known, split fire, explosive damage, poison damage, you know, um, you know, heat-seeking stuff. Um, you take all these elements that, that people are used to and they they understand, but, you know, by, by making different combinations of things and by changing the order that they execute in, um, you can get wildly different effects. Um, so you take the familiar and you make it feel new. Um, I don't know. Sounds like it would be fun, but also a lot of work. And don't know how well it would. Don't know how well it would work. Cause you know I play a lot of games that um, that have great ideas. You can tell that you can tell there was a great seed of an idea here. Um, and you you're on the journey with the the developer and you're feeling it. You're like yes yes yes. This is a great idea. I can I can really grab onto this and this is something that I, I could be really excited about but then an execution either by fault of theirs or by by simple fact that maybe maybe the idea is not possible to execute as you had in mind um, you know it falls apart that happens and it happens with all forms of entertainment um, you know you have you have TV shows movies books on you know that at the elevator pitch level it sounds brilliant or it sounds like it has a lot of potential, but for whatever reason, either the talent you have involved or the direction that it takes, or maybe even just the time, maybe, you know, you've got shows and games that are ahead of their time. Um, maybe the public isn't ready for that yet. Um, you know, it's, it's like a, a great example is a game I bring up regularly, Tumbleseed. I, I think it's a, brilliant idea and it's very different and I enjoy I enjoy it um, but it's one of those things that you know whether it's ahead of its time or whether it can't have its time things that are different and that are unexpected it, it's a risk I mean people people don't latch on to that uh, people don't want something that's unfamiliar um, they should. I wish more people would be more thirsty for games that feel different, but they aren't. Um, they want, they you know, look at the success of things like Madden, or I mean, Madden not so much lately, but um, Call of Duty, you know, things that are come out every year. It's it's an experience that you 
that you understand and you know what to expect um, there's a lot of there's a lot of comfort in those things um, so things shaking thing when you have a game that shakes it up it makes it tough so that's the end of first question um, we have one more question uh, from uh, Grills von Sizzel another another person who's been around um, so he says, hey, Justin, long-time listener, thousandth-time caller. Uh, it seems like the indie gaming landscape has shifted since the Switch's early days. Do you attribute this to the Switch's tech limitations or a lack of visibility in the oversaturated eShop? Uh, what changes would you make? A uh, couple questions here, and um, a couple of them are tough ones. Um, definitely things have changed. Um, I would say that I would say that in terms of the indie scene, but I, I think on the console scene, and this shouldn't be a shock to anybody, um, you know, the, the the Switch is past its prime in terms of its power and in terms of um, it being at peak uh, for, you know, it's, it's seen the majority of its potential already. Um, and that isn't to say that you can't still have great games on it and games shouldn't be made for it and that Nintendo should immediately you know, be talking about their next release. But it's just, it's definitely past its peak. Um, you can feel it in the, in the releases. Um, this used to be a, I mean, it's still a pretty busy time of year, but compared to past years, things haven't been as busy on my end. And it's incremental. I mean, maybe it's only 20% less or something like that. Um, but you feel it. Um, in terms of, there was a, there was, the early days, it was, you know, can this be on Switch was the common call. There got to be a point where you stopped having to ask. You could just, there was a period of a year or two where you could just assume everything was coming to Switch, uh, pretty much. Um, but now we're back to having to ask in a lot of cases. And it seems like, um, you know, even even the indie development scene, um, you know, there there's a class of games that have moved on beyond what the switch is probably capable of and so people don't you know people just know that it's probably not going to be switch bound um and you know those aren't all games that are necessarily you know a huge loss particularly um you know but obviously the more games that aren't coming to switch the more opportunity for something being big is being lost um and indie developers of a lot of stripes are probably still inclined to try to make a release on Switch because of the installed base and because of, you know, traditionally the Switch has been pretty good to a lot of indie indie games. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely on its decline. Um, in terms of, you know, whether because of the Switch's technical limitations, um, I think it's that to a degree. But honestly, the, the Switch came out of the gate... Um, the switch came out of the gate limited and it was it's just one of those things that you know either you're making games that can fit within those limitations perhaps with some nudging because um, we've seen you know really good games be adapted and come over surprisingly well um, like doom comes to mind uh, it astounds me how well doom came across but then you've got games that are in potentially the same vein um, that really didn't translate well like um BPM is one that's more recent bullets per minute. Boy, um, visually, I mean, they got the 
they got the speed right it feels good from a speed perspective but murkiness oh visually just really hard to make out what you're doing um it was kind of a mess so you know not to say that not to say it's the fault of the um the switch completely i think that probably it could have been ported better but that isn't to say that you know that there wouldn't be a hard limit on at some point you know you're going to lose you're going to lose something translating the switch um and it's always been a known and it's just the longer things have gone on uh the more potential there is to be lost and because you've got people shooting for you know what are now a new generation past you know when the switch was launched where the competition is obviously things have moved ahead quite a bit so there is definitely a technical side to it um but i think the oversaturation in the eShop to a degree is true too um and but let's you know the steam the steam catalog is just i you know the the Nintendo the, I think Nintendo is over the Switch is over seven thousand games. Um, it might actually be pushing her over eight at this point. Um, so that's a lot, and it's a lot to to get through. And part of the problem, you know, when we get to discovery, the eShop, the eShop really is not ideal. Um, the eShop is very good at helping people know what just came out, um, but it is horrible for discovery um you know once once games have sort of had their time of maybe as quick as a week or two um with the exception of really you know massive triple a games but for indie games you know you might not have ever gotten noticed in the first place um even when you came out um but certainly you know a month in it's impossible to find you unless you know what you're looking for um and that's where sites like mine are trying to be helpful and to try to beat the drum for games that are you know may not be perfect um and may not be all triple a quality or or even anywhere near triple a quality but um you know with with my well now hall of fame uh certainly nindy choice and then even to some degree my quote good rated games you know there's a threshold basically of about 7.5 is is a way to think about it um if a game is 7.5 or above longer term i'll have it in things like steals and deals videos if they go on sale um if they're they may show up in bigger lists like genre lists and stuff like that but ultimately that's a matter of what genre you're in um you know that you've got oversaturated lists like shooters and action um the longer that those lists have been there because i'm gonna i'm gonna cap that at 100 uh at any time and now i'm even capping the videos at 50 and then on the site i'm going up to 100 but uh so you know if you're uh if you're a 7.5 sports game yeah you can easily get in the top list um because there's plenty of room the sports there's not a lot of representation but if you're in the action or shooter category say well that's that's a lot of competition um action to get on to uh you know the top 100 for action you're i can pretty much guarantee you're you have to be at an eight and even then you'd probably have to be a really good eight um uh you know you're probably more the games are 
<clears throat> getting down into you know somewhere between eight and eight point five. Um, you know, the, it's getting more competitive um, because there's just so many really great action games that sort of getting into that list is going to be a lot more difficult than on underrepresented genres like, like I said, sports, racing, um, simulations, things like that. Um, so, you know, in terms of what to do about it, um, that also goes back to the days of um, when Kirk... Uh, when Kirk Scott was at Nintendo, um, that was one of the things we would spend some time talking about. Um, you know, a few times, not to say that we talked tons, you know, I wouldn't imply that you had ongoing conversations by any means, but, um, but of the things that we would talk about when we talked, um, you know, discovery was definitely an ongoing problem. Um, and as I covered in a previous, um, episode of this there was a time when there was talk of you know just spitballing about you know a a game pass kind of subscription service that would you know include indies in some fashion whether it was indie focused or it was uh you know indies were a piece of some bigger subscription idea and this was before nintendo online so you know this is this is all just hypothetical um just going through conceptually how things could work, um, whether it would work. Um, but the, the discovery was definitely a piece of that because part of the idea would be that, you know, you could, so you, you've got a game, you, you, you're an indie developer and you have a, a reasonably good game that did reasonably well. Um, but you know, you're, the game came out, say, let's say eight months, a year more ago um, so you've seen your, you've seen the, your, your numbers have definitely waned. Um, so if you have a program like, you know, Game Pass-ish type of thing that, you know, you're an add-on, you know, you, at the point that unless you're, uh, you know, a high demand indie game, you would only be an add-on to this month's crop, um, but what it does is it allows new people to see your title. Um, you might be able to convert some of that into sales um, after the fact that you know, people might love your game that they played for free enough that now they're going to pay for it once it's out of its rotation in the in the queue. Um, but then also you you know part of that deal is now you have visibility you're being sort of pushed even if not actively you know just the fact that you're included um more eyes are on you it's it has value um potentially to you for for rejuvenating your numbers um but things like that i think would be one way to help improve um i like i said if nintendo they have almost the perfect answer at their at their fingertips with their online subscription piece you know they're choosing to to emphasize their you know their back catalog which is you know obviously they 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 have tons of material and they could absolutely you know continue to release games for different consoles that they've had over time and and that would be appealing in its own right um but you know wetting the beak of some indies along the way would seem to be a good idea um you know to to partner to really get some of these you know indies indie developers to feel like 
they matter um and to to help shed light on them um it seems like a weird move because when we when kirk and i would talk about the indie focused piece it was like well what is the you know how do you get how do you get somebody like devolver um or one of these bigger publishers that make you know bigger indie games um you know the likes of you know so devolver um recently they had cult of the lamb or um certainly um you know dot emu with um streets of rage 4 or uh with uh, teenage mutant ninja turtles shredder's revenge i mean these are sort of um higher visibility higher higher demand um indie games that 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 you'd have to make a deal to to get those to be part of the pack obviously um but that was always the challenge is like you know how do you incentivize the situation so that the the big games that are the draw can pull people in and then you know then you you're bringing along other people that that are all the games that they necessarily haven't heard of that you're trying to help promote that are decent um you know nintendo online sort of solves that problem the the draw is nintendo's own products um so the extras you know you're telling me that nintendo couldn't talk to indie developers that have you know like i said games that are two maybe one two three years deep old that they couldn't go back to some of these developers and say you know hey you know why don't we why don't we run you for a month on nintendo switch online make you available for free see if it can you know drum up some drum some positive buzz for you and get people excited and then perhaps at the end of that period you know offer offer your game to the people that are on the subscription service at a discounted rate to keep it um you know that's a that's a revenue opportunity um you know, maybe you're maybe you think that that's a risk you know maybe indie developers like no i'll take my chances but um you know that there's an opportunity there um I, it seems weird that nintendo isn't doing that if they still have a commitment to indie indies um that that seems like something you would do if you were committed but you know i don't i can't speak since kirk's no longer there i don't i don't talk to anybody um at nintendo about indies so you know i like the fact that they keep doing the directs um but it it feels like there there could be more um and it feels odd that there isn't and that may not be the problem of the people who are in charge of indies at nintendo that could be a bigger nintendo problem because as i talked about in the past um indies and nintendo from a home office corporate perspective um indie games weren't always so highly thought of and with perhaps without somebody um a champion like uh kirk scott specifically who had a ton, tons of charisma and stuff like that maybe without somebody like that being the one beating down your door to get to get something to happen um you know maybe maybe it doesn't happen maybe maybe even if people are really interested um they can't get the higher end folks to agree but it does seem like a missed opportunity um the other the other way to go um but they killed that themselves was um really early in the eShop they had they briefly had the ability for games to be rated um by people and they killed that and they never brought it back um that seems like another thing you could tie to nintendo online i mean i i think the only reason you kill a rating 
a rating kind of thing on the you know a user rating system. Um, I think the only one of the only reasons you kill it is because you don't think that the results will be legitimate, which you know if you made it anonymous certainly would be a problem um, because you know then you can get people exploiting and you know review bombing things or you know or like Amazon has problems with you know um, people uprating things illegitimately to make them look better um, but it seems like when you have things like Nintendo Switch Online that audience is is definitely a curated audience that you have you could put stuff into the people's um, terms of use that if they try to abuse it you know you can rescind their membership type of thing um, but that's a that's a curated audience that why not let people um you know you can keep it really simple don't have a point system um i think what netflix does now makes sense with a down vote up vote or a, you know a double up vote i think i think having two levels of your endorsement is a smart move without being too you know without being too crazy i don't think a double a double negative would be beneficial i think then it's just people being sort of mean um you can not like something and that's enough you don't need to measure how much you dislike something i don't know if that's very effective but um but i think netflix going to the uh one thumb up two thumb up was a smart move because you know i might like something um it's the difference between liking and loving and and so i i would feel the conflict sometimes when um you know i was sort of eh on a movie or a show or something like that and maybe from an algorithm standpoint, I liked it enough that I want it. I want Netflix and their algorithm to know that I'm interested in this sort of thing, but I just don't want them to think that you know I thought it was the shit. So, um, so you know that's where the double thumbs up is. You know, that's truly something I love versus something that I just I liked it. Um, but again, that would be an opportunity that Nintendo would have at their fingertips to create a way of improving discovery and it would be based in it would be very arbitrary um you know you'd be counting on you know the the recommendations of random people that went back through their libraries and you know put in these ratings and stuff like that oh and that's the other benefit of the um having it tied to your nintendo online account would be the fact that then you would not allow people to uh you wouldn't allow people to evaluate games that you didn't know they purchased. And since your online account is very aware of all the games that you have in your library, obviously they could easily restrict it. So they've got the answer there, um, or the means of an answer there. They just aren't using it. Um, so that would be the other way. Um, but yeah, the fact they do nothing um, and have done nothing is disappointing. Um, and it's not just for indie developers, just for even bigger developers. You know, there are are less known um, games in the libraries of even bigger developers that they would probably appreciate there being an opportunity to some, for somebody to find without getting word of mouth external to the site and then searching for it. Um, yeah, discovery is a is a consistent problem. Um, the other model they could take, um, and you've got people like me out here that um, that have opinions <laughs> on on a lot of games. Um, but it's something that Steam does. Um, so they have community cur curators, um, and 
what's nice about those is you can latch on to specific community cur curators that you feel that you align with better. Um, so that's another opportunity that's out there that they aren't taking up. Um, yeah, it's, I guess, frustrating that, that they seem to be doing none of it um, and just seem to be content to just let it be. Um, that is disappointing. But anyway, so that brings us to a close for the questions. Uh, we don't have any questions for next week, so um, I would appreciate anybody listening if you if you like this setup and, and uh, me covering whatever people ask about Nintendo games, whatever. Um, you know, please ask a question because that's the only way this survives. This is it's set up to be just a way of answering questions and sort of engaging with people. So. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed it, and hopefully you'll tune back in. And if you have a question, hopefully you'll submit it, because without that, there won't be any more. So I guess I'll talk to you all next time. This has been Talking Dindies. My name is Justin Nation, and we will we'll talk to you next time.